Bowing your heads, please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for the greater glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. For over three decades now, the concept of self-esteem has been a preoccupation of many psychologists and educators in our country. The term has entered into pop culture in such a way that all kinds of personal and social ills for underachievement in school, relationships, Even serial killings are attributed to a person having a low or negative self-esteem. One difficulty for such a concept as self-esteem is that we often use the term without understanding what it is we're referring to. Measuring one's self-esteem is not exactly like taking one's blood pressure. You cannot walk into a counselor or pastor's office and get an objective and accurate reading on your self-esteem as if it's 120 over 80. 180 positive self-esteem, but your negative self-esteem is low. No way we can just say you need to cut back on this or that in order to adjust it or take this pill or this stress index. Let's take a stab on a definition for self-esteem, if we can, for a moment. Self-esteem could be seen as consisting of a person's evaluation about his or her acceptability or worthiness to be loved. This carries with it a pleasant or unpleasant feeling. It is strongly related to the perceived views of the person by important others in his or her life. So if those around uh, a a child is somehow or another uh, often finding things to criticize the child about, always driving the child mercilessly, no matter what uh, they have achieved, there may well be a self-esteem that uh, is not compensated or healed by the highest of achievements. Take the son of John Adams. John Adams, second president of these United States had a son named John Quincy Adams. He became the ambassador to Holland. And then ambassador to Great Britain. And then ambassador to Russia. And then the secretary of state. And then a state senator. And then the president of these United States. But he writes in his diary... My life has been spent in vain and idle aspirations 
and in ceaseless, rejected prayers that something beneficial should be the result of my existence. No accomplishment got at the root of the self-esteem that plagued him with a sense of inadequacy. Clearly something deeper than achievement is necessary. Wonder if you heard that word in the psalm this morning. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God takes pleasure in you? That has nothing to do with your achievement. Nothing to do with your worthiness. But everything to do with his overwhelming love for you that comes searching and does not stop until the last ding-dong of doom is rung in your life. So often the, the uh, Beatitudes are, are preached as things that we as people need to achieve or strive for in order to achieve God's pleasure. But that's not it at all. And we preachers have sometimes preached the Beatitudes in such a way that those hearing them preached only feel a sense of how inadequate and how far they are from being the saints that God would have them be. And that leaves to some people just casting all the thought of religion to the, to the wind. It was one of those moments in, in life that was a profound disconnect to me. I just buried a, a faithful parishioner, a widow, who was well-loved in the congregation. Many of the, of the people in the congregation had things that she had knit for them. When she was healthy, she knit uh, uh, quilts for those who were ill. She was always doing something... Uh, of care and love for others. But she got ill and died quickly. And I had done the, the funeral and, and uh, was driving back from the graveside in the funeral director's car. I was in the front seat. Not in the back, fortunately. <laughs> and this fellow was talking the whole time about his recent vacation travels and his recent purchases, which were many. And as we drove into the church parking lot for him to let me out so I could go down into the parish hall and greet those at the wake or the reception, he said, now remember, the one who dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> I got out of the car, <laughs> looked down at him and thought, what is it? Uh, what does winning in that situation mean? What, he asked? You said the one who dies with the most toys wins. What does that mean when you're dead? 
I closed the door and walked away. <laughs> he had prepared the woman for burial, but he clearly had no idea how blessed she was. He was just making a buck on a dead body. Jesus, we're told, was teaching all over Galilee. He was teaching in synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease, every affliction among the people. So his fame spread through all the Syria and they, they brought him all the sick and those who were afflicted with every diseases and pains and those who were oppressed by evil spirits, those who were epileptic and those who were paralyzed and he healed them all. And great crowds were following him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from all beyond the Jordan. That is, God's power was being manifest in Jesus the Messiah. And he was healing people whose lives were broken and whose relatives were hurting and who had not anything together. And he was healing them not because he deserved them, but because he had come searching for his own. Searching for the lost. And in whatever condition they were in, the grace of God flowed upon them. And they were healed. And families were restored. And I suppose there were some marriages that were put back together again. And there were grace to forgive granted in broken families. And people were able to forgive wounds from the past that had broken hearts and relationships. And it was flowing to everybody. And in that context... It says here in Matthew's Gospel, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach. And then we get these Beatitudes that so many people misunderstand. They think it's things we're supposed to aspire to. Not realities that characterize our lives that when the grace of God comes, bring blessing. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not that you strive to be poor in spirit. It's that if you are poor in spirit, if you have a contrite and humble heart, if life has slapped you down and discouraged you and made you heavy hearted, be of good cheer. Because through Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God can be yours. If you are one who mourns, you shall be comforted. It's so strange. I said goodbye to the uh, uh, mortician, the undertaker, the purveyor of death. And I went down into the parish hall 
and there were about 30 or 40 people all telling stories about the woman who had just died. There was grief there, but while they shared stories about her life, there was a sense of hope and encouragement that somehow or another how God had blessed them through her and what a blessing she was. And she was not gone. She was as as alive as ever. And we remembered what God had done through her. And we took pleasure even in the morning. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. That is, those who understand that life is measured ultimately by how we approach God. And then how we relate to one another. For they inherit all that is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever hungered and thirsted for God? Wanted Him to show up in the midst of your struggles? Wanting Him to manifest Himself to you in your anxieties and your worries and your fears? In such moments like that, it doesn't matter so much how much you know. The question is, are you known by God? Does He know you? That's what you want to know in those kinds of situations. Blessed are the merciful. That is, blessed are those who have compassion for other people and have received God's forgiveness in such a way that they end up forgiving others. You know, it's a strange thing, but when you forgive those who have hurt you or betrayed you, You set a prisoner free. And the prisoner is you. Blessed are those uh, who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. They're ready to receive the forgiveness and mercy of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, these are, are not so much things we strive for, as conditions of our lives that when when the kingdom of God comes, blessing comes to us. Blessed are the peacemakers. I was thinking at the 8 o'clock service while I I said that, it it flashed back in my mind that last year when I was here, it was shortly, I think the week before I came, some police officers were, were called to mediate a domestic dispute. And when they got to the house where the domestic uh, uh, dispute was, there was a man stowed up in the house with a gun who killed several of the police officers. But blessed were they by God because they were doing the work of a peacemaker. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. All of this, you see, is trying to convey to us an important truth. That it's God who comes searching for us. Comes searching for you who are being 
confirmed. I learned that at a very early age. I then forgot it, but I learned it well. I was 10 years old. And friend of the family gave me three desert tortoises, living as I did in California, not far from the desert. Uh, a friend of the family had these three desert tortoises that his children had outgrown. And so they gave the, the turtles to me. One tortoise was about that big, and, and I could count the scales on his back, and it was some 37 years old, this turtle was. And then there was another one that was about that big, and he was 14 years old. And another little one about like that, he was six years old. You can count the lines and the scales. I put them in the backyard, and there I kept them. I'd come out on a summer day and give them watermelon rinds, and the turtles would come to, to eat, or lettuce, and that sort of thing. And then I was up one day in, in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, visiting my, my great aunt and, and uncle, Charlie and Auntie Ethel. I was traipsing through the woods in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, and I came across a western box turtle. I scooped him up and put him in a box and took him home and put him in the backyard with the desert tortoises. But you know, a western box turtle can run rings around a desert tortoise. And so I had to be very careful because if the gate was left open, that eastern box turtle could be over there in about 15 minutes and gone. So <laughs> I came out one summer day to feed the desert tortoises and the, and the western box turtle, and the desert tortoises came, and nowhere around was the, was the western box turtle. So I started looking all over the backyard, and he wasn't there, and I noticed the door, the gate was slightly ajar. I thought, oh, he's gotten out. And so it was a hot summer day, and I'm working out, looking all over for this, this turtle, going the back alleys, front yards, backyards, traipsing through neighbors' flower beds, looking for the turtle. I'm, I've been at this now for six hours. It's 110 degrees outside. I come back into the house and I do what any good Methodist boy would do. I got by the bedside and knelt down. And I said, Lord, I'll spend the rest of my life serving you. If you'll only help me find that turtle. I tell you it was unfair of God to hold me to that. You know, you get a boy in a tight situation, his back's against the wall, he pledges things he ought not to pledge, eternal service of the living God, just let me find the turtle. But I made the prayer, I can't take it back. So I get up from the bed, from the prayer, I go out to the back porch, I survey the backyard, and for the first time all day, I saw one of those galvanized tubs that you take to a picnic turned upside down. And I hear a voice saying, go turn that tub right side up. I went over and turned the tub right side up. You know what was under there? The turtle. I was looking for the turtle and the turtle and the, God was searching for me. When we are found, when we are known, and when we know we are known and loved, it heals the self-esteem that no achievement 
can reach. Because when we are known and loved for who we are, not what we have done or achieved, and how many toys we have, then we're set free. And the Lord loves to take pleasure in his people. You all being confirmed today, it has nothing to do with what you've achieved. It has everything to do with God's promise to you that he will be with you forever. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. You may wander away for a while, but I'm laying odds that just as that turtle was found by me and God found me in the finding of the turtle, he will find you because he never stops searching till you, he got you home. And that does wonders for the self-esteem when you're loved and found by the living God. Amen.